0: So we've taken our next step in this infinite journey of enlightenment. A series of events have taken place that has brought us to where we are right now. This is the most important time of our lives. It's in this very moment which exists prior to a thought that we have the potential to be. Being exists in this moment, in this time, and knowing, seeing, feeling, and experiencing all that there is right now. Stay tuned as Ron Ash teaches how to locate our special gift, connect the spirit, and intentionally create our experiences.
1: Being with Ron Ash, we are live in local, national, and international and great stations worldwide. For a complete list of our affiliates and show times, please visit beingwithronash.com. That's beingwithronash.com. Again, I want to remind everyone that the show has been picked up by W A R L Providence, Attleboro. Uh, that's 13:20 uh, a.m. locally. Uh, we will be starting that show. It will be a two-hour show, actually, live from the W A R L studios. In uh, Down City, Providence At 5pm uh, to 7pm Starting on February 18th So if you're in the area Or you can even listen online uh, We'd love to have you as part of the show Today's guest is Scott Allen Roberts He wrote a very fascinating um, Book called The Rise and Fall Of Nephilim The untold story of Fallen angels, giants on the earth And the extraterrestrial origins welcome to the sh- show scott
2: hi ron thanks for having me and uh, if i can put in one disclaimer i office in my home so if you hear the occasional shrieking child or bumper <laughs> bangs, that's that's what that's all about <laughs>
1: we're we're very accustomed to that here it is a uh a, a call-in show so a lot of times we have uh psychics mediums astrologers and things like that and people are calling <clears> for their <throat> homes and we hear all kinds of wonderful stuff i'll bet it just adds to the flavor of the show.
2: Absolutely. As I used to say, it's scintillating live radio.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We have callers that sometimes forget they're on the radio, and they start uh, waving and hollering to people on the street. Hey, how you doing, Mrs. Jones? <laughs>
2: okay, I, I was on a show a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I live up in the Minnesota-Wisconsin border area, and it was quite cold a couple of weeks ago, and I was in the the man cave, the garage, and I had a heater going, and I kicked it over by accident on air, and it blew up and uh, created quite a a fun sound effect for everybody.
1: Making the uh, live broadcast very interesting.
2: So tell us a little bit about the book. All right. Well, this book is, is uh, I would say, the, the culmination or the, the outcome of many years of thinking and study and research on this topic. Um, my background is uh, uh, many years ago. I was in Bible college and seminary and a uh, um, very conservative, fundamental Baptist setting and uh, very uh, cloistered in that uh, uh, Protestant sense in our way of thinking. And uh, I had a lot of questions as I was learning things in seminary, and uh, those questions kept growing and growing and growing, and there was never sufficient answers, it seemed, uh, within that that theological framework. Mm-hmm. And as I, I guess I say, progress in my thinking over the mm-hmm. years, there were there were questions that rose, and one of them was this topic of the Nephilim, Mm-hmm. which is you you find in Genesis chapter 6, the first few verses, and uh, it's kind of a preamble or a prelude to the whole Noah and the ark story, which mm-hmm. many of us are familiar with uh, if you're uh, mostly Judeo-Christian if you grew up in that tradition. You've learned about Noah and the ark and the story of that. But rarely, and, and I could say never, was uh, was I ever taught as a kid and growing up, and even in seminary, it was very, very uh, rarely touched upon, this preamble to the whole story, which talks about the sons of God came down and intermingled with the daughters of men and had children by them. Mm
3: -hmm. They were known as the
2: Nephilim, the heroes of old and the men of renown, as the Scripture says. Mm -hmm. And that was always this uh, kind of obscure verse, and we'd ask a couple of questions and never really get a sufficient answer on what that was. Um, until I started looking into it, and I started digging into the the Hebrew, and I uh, I found that this, this preamble is really the big purpose, reason behind the great flood story as mentioned mm-hmm. in the Bible. Yeah. And then uh, in doing comparative studies, I found that there's over 600 different cultures out there that date back thousands of years that have flood accounts, universal flood accounts, with mankind being destroyed by some divine being, A whole different cast of characters in in every one of them But they all have this common thread And that is some kind of spirit being or non-human entity uh, Intermingling with human women, having children by them And some supreme being uh, uh, wanting to wipe out the race as a result And so what I, I learned along the way As I dug into the actual Hebrew of the text And looked at outside sources Some of the apocryphal books like the book of Enoch Uh, which is not considered to be part of a biblical canon right now, but it was kicked out by uh, Constantine's uh, uh, councils. And uh, you start looking into all of this information, and you find out that what we were taught about the flood is not exactly what happened in Scripture. And whether you view the flood as mythology uh, or just a big fairy tale or a story, one thing is certain, science Says that there was a universal flood of some kind, or a universal. I'll uh, put that in quotes. Uh, mm-hmm. That there was a, a major flood in that whole okay. uh, uh, Mesopotamian Valley area, uh, some six, 000, seven thousand years ago, and all these different religions put together. While you can't bring it into the laboratory and and, and conduct scientific methodology on the story itself what you find is that there is a certain methodology of science put in place by the accumulation of all the different stories and all the different accounts hailing back to the same thing. And so what I found in my studies was we were taught in Sunday school, very simply. When I was a little kid, God yeah. was disappointed with the wickedness of man and wanted to wipe out mankind and the great Flood. Mm-hmm. and Noah was the only righteous man left, and he built an ark. Yeah, I'm familiar story with that. The
1: simplified version. <laughs>
2: That's very simple. Made you know, you famous in many story.
1: movies and chi- children's yes. cartoons.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. As a matter of fact, when I first learned it, it was with felt storyboard uh, cutouts of uh, Noah with the white beard and the robe and the animals uh, and all that. State stuff. of the um,
3: art. Yeah, there, and
2: you can find play school <laughs> toys of the whole thing. And what we don't realize is that this story, even if all the facts, might be a little different than we might think when you start digging into it. The, the 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 theological facts we were taught about this story, and that as they appear in the English version of the Bible, uh, have a whole lot more encoding to them in the deeper scripture when you start digging. And you find out mm-hmm. certain details that the flood, some of the earliest details I learned about this, the flood wasn't to wipe out the wickedness of mankind and Noah was the only righteous man, It Uh actually reads that the flood was – the purpose of that was to wipe out the wickedness brought to mankind by this hybrid race of the sons of God intermingling with the daughters of men, the Nephilim, Uh and that Noah wasn't the only righteous man. Noah was the only pure-blooded man left who was pure in all his generations, the Bible says, and there's a whole lot more to talk about about that particular fact alone. So that's what really got me launched into – writing the book, and so what I do is examine all the biblical passages. And I guess you could say there's lots of angles you could take on this, and I took the angle of saying I want to explore this from a theological level, from a a biblical level, and then I want to tie it in and link it into some of the things that we know or that we're discovering that is put under the label of ancient alien, uh, ancient Mm -hmm. anthropology, ancient archaeology. And so I looked at all of these things, and, and that's what's culminated in this book.
1: Yeah, um, you mentioned some uh, interesting things just by going through the uh, table of context, and you, you mentioned uh, Constantine. Um, yeah, w- what was what was his role really?
2: <laughs> well, Constantine, uh, Roman emperor uh, in the uh, 300s A.D., um, he uh, had one of his big things historically was he was considered to be the first Christian Roman emperor. And uh, at the same time, he was somebody who personally hated the divisions in the church, all the Mm -hmm. religious divisions in in his empire. And he wanted to tie all those knots together and say, all right, everybody, I'm the emperor, Uh, stop. This is going to stop, and I'm going to put an end to it. And he convened all these councils, one of them being the Council of Nicaea in 325, which I mentioned in the book. And Mm -hmm. Constantine, by the way, was really, by theological standards, anything but Christian. He was, he uh-huh. was pure pagan, which yeah. uh, he claimed Christianity, but he did it for a reason. There were two things he was trying to establish. Number one, one god, one emperor. Number uh-huh. two, one religion, one empire. Uh-huh. And this is the way he set about, this is what he set about to do with the, with the councils. And one of the things they accomplished in the in a series of councils was the canonization of Scripture. In other words, what's real Scripture, God-breathed versus what is not. Mm
3: -hmm. And uh,
2: uh, the book of Enoch, which I reference heavily in my book, was a book that they considered to be non-scriptural, or at least there was not unanimity on it, and so they they kicked it out of the Scriptures. But what Mm -hmm. I look at, even in, in the case of the book of Enoch, is you've got pretty much every major prophet in the Old Testament Quotes from the book of Enoch The minor Mm -hmm. prophets quote from the book of Enoch Peter and Paul in the New Testament Quote from the book of Enoch And Jesus himself quotes from the book of Enoch And I kind of look at it this way If it's good enough for all those guys It's good enough for me But there were political reasons they did not want that book uh, Mm -hmm. in in the scripture So it got kicked out Mm -hmm. Uh, Yet you look at that and when you look at the genesis passage which <clears throat> i believe genesis was written by moses traditionally and i don't think there's any reason to doubt that and
3: mm-hmm. i actually
2: established that in in my book but uh um it was it was uh, genesis written by moses just touches on it lightly he just it's almost like a mention at the beginning of the the account of noah's flood mm-hmm. like moses does in so many other places throughout the books that he wrote. You know, he doesn't give names, he doesn't give dates, he doesn't give places, things like that. Uh Yet you go to the book of Enoch, and you find the same passage with almost identical words being used, except it takes what Moses says in four verses and expands to to chapter after chapter after chapter. Uh And so uh, there's a lot of information out there, at least theologically speaking or scripturally speaking. And the reason I go to those sources is even though the word Nephilim has become more popular, you know, in in the public mind for anybody who wants to look into this stuff, uh, Nephilim, ooh, everybody, there's been movies made about the Nephilim and uh, uh, all this alien stuff put to it and all of that. Mm -hmm. But the reason I go to the scriptures is because that's the source point. That's where that word originates. It's in the Hebrew, it's in the book of Enoch and the book of Genesis that Nephilim is found, and it literally means If you parse your Hebrew down, the word nephal means in Hebrew to fall, to come down, to descend, to leave one's Mm -hmm. estate and go to another. The team is a plurality put on the end. So it's Nephilim, those who fell, those who came down, those who descended, those who left their estate and went to another. And uh, so that's the source point, and that's that's why I use that. And Constantine uh, took that whole book. Kicked it out of the Bible. Now, He didn't personally uh-huh. do it, but he governed over uh, those councils, and and he, in a sense, established himself as kind of like the pope in yeah. a sense. And he he uh, presided over everything
1: to pick and choose.
2: <clears throat> exactly.
1: So the four verses that you spoke of um, that were in the uh, in Genesis that. Uh, Carry on throughout the book of Enoch. What, what were basically those four verses?
2: Uh, it would be Genesis six uh, okay. one through. I think it's it's, it's not just four. I think there's uh, off the top of my head. Now I'm looking at it in my head. There's mm-hmm. a six to eight verses, something like that, that covers it. And it really all it states is uh, what Moses wrote was, uh, uh, and in those days the sons of God ascended. Yeah. And intermingled with the daughters of men, they left it after them, they chose any of them they wished, and they had children by them. And their offspring were known as the Nephilim. And then it says And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, mm-hmm. when the sons of God came in unto them. And they were known as the heroes of old and the men of renown. But then it goes right after that verse, it goes right into you know, and 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 God established that man was only going to be mortal, and 120 years would be his years. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so he mm-hmm. goes into the whole account of, of the of the the ark story. Yeah. And uh, what you can do when you start looking at these stories, um, they become. I think what we have done, and and we kind of hit on this when we were talking about there's toys out there and movies and cartoons yeah. about Noah and the ark. I think what has happened to some of these major events that took place is we have so story bookized them that we don't view them as real events with real mm-hmm. people anymore. Yeah. Yet these flood this this great flood, uh whatever it was in its real details, is so was so real in in our ancient history that as I mentioned there's over six hundred different cultures, tribes, religions that tell this story with different cast of characters, different different events, and things like that. So, what you will find, even in the Bible, and uh, this was a, a stretch for me when I first started this, because I was so uh, that there was one point in my life, Ron, where I knew everything. You know, mm-hmm. I, religiously, I was conservative, fundamental Baptist, and yeah. the Bible is this, the Bible is that. There's no answer that is not found in the Bible, and, and yeah, yeah. yet even in doing that, finding that a lot of these stories are the Hebrew version of what took place uh-huh. as opposed to, or the Jewish Christian version of what took place, as opposed to, say, the the Sumerian version or the you know, some ancient African version, or even uh, uh, there's a version of the flood story in, in some of the American Indian uh, cultures and ancient histories. And so what you've got to do when you look at this is say, why does the the same flood get mentioned in another culture but Noah's never mentioned? Mm -hmm. Um, There's great barges mentioned that are built, animals that are kept, uh, things like that. And so you have to start decoding what is actually there. And at the same time, then, when you're trying to look at something scientifically or historically or archaeologically, you try to push aside the – Spirituality of it, because you say look i don 't want to not that i don 't believe this, but i don 't mm-hmm. want to have that taint my research so people go all oh, well yeah, that's just your religious your religion
3: yeah law. yeah, yeah,
2: or your spirituality, so you have to push mm-hmm. that a little bit aside and say, What are the facts, you know just the facts, man. yeah, yeah. and uh, you start digging through and uncoding things and finding that these stories are things that actually have historical evidences, and they took place. Uh, finding out who the real people were involved is a little tough to do. But mm-hmm. as in the case with my book, I took the biblical story and the biblical characters and I started parsing it down and trying to find out what does this mean? What does it really say? Uh, and as I mentioned, Noah, the man mentioned as the guy who built the ark, uh, there's a lot about him in just a few words in the Hebrew that are very different than what, as it appears, in English text.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, uh, you have to look at these stories and start Thinking them through, and that's really the purpose of my writing this book, was not one yeah, to yeah. dissuade anyone's faith or spirituality or belief system or anything like that. And even for me, I, I always uh-huh. say, I, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to yeah. my theology, my theological beliefs. Yeah. But you got to look through this stuff sometimes. Uh-huh. Even, I mentioned heavily in my book, the, the account of the Garden of Eden and the serpent in the garden and Eve and Adam and all of that, and say, Obviously, this is a coded story. There's something Mm. more here. There may have been a real Adam and Eve that started everything. It's very
1: symbolic.
2: Right. It's symbolic. And it all leads into why Noah is called. Words have different meanings.
1: Could the snake have really been a worm? You know, a worm corrupting the apple? You know, people tend to stay away from apples with worms in them.
2: (laughs) A, A great example of that. And I speak of this, and it's and it's it's very tightly linked to the Nephilim, the whole mm-hmm. scenario of Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. Now, obviously, you know, you got in this story, and the serpent said to Eve, "Well, I've never seen a talking snake in yeah. my life." Uh, so you've got to dig a little deeper and say, obviously, this is a word picture for something. And you dig in, and uh, uh, the Bible never calls him, by the way, Satan or Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never calls them that in the account. It's it's attributed to Satan and Lucifer later in Scripture or in the New Testament. Uh, it's never in the passage in Genesis does it say, and the snake was Lucifer and Satan. What it does say in the Hebrew, uh, the word used for serpent is nakosh, which means, by definition in the Hebrew, trickster, bringer of illumination, bringer of knowledge, bright shining one. And uh, this is the character that spoke to Eve. So I refer to him in uh-huh. my book as the serpent character in the in the garden story. And then you look at all the the events that happen there. He tempts her. He offers her the fruit. She takes yeah. it. She thinks it's good, and she offers it to Adam. Oh, uh-huh. and then she conceives. Yeah. Uh, now, wait a minute. You start digging into that, and you find that while all the Hebrew language here is pretty generic terms, neutral terms, uh, he offered, she took, and so on – the overall context of that whole account becomes sexual. So Mm -hmm. there is a serpent character who beguiled, as the Hebrew says, which can stand for seduced, tempted Mm -hmm. Eve. He offered her the forbidden fruit, um, which by itself is 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 fairly neutral, but when you start looking at the outcomes of everything, Mm -hmm. it boils down to this. Eve had sex. With the serpent character in the Bible, she brought Adam into the mix. Uh Uh, You know, you can put whatever connotation on that you want. We don't know if it was at the same moment or a day later or an hour later or whatever. And it's like, hey, this sex thing is pretty cool, Adam, try this. Uh And uh, it says that Eve conceived, and she conceived twins, Cain and Abel, the two brothers. And we know the stories of Cain and Abel. Cain murders his brother later on in, in their lives. And the the famous question, am I my brother's keeper, you know, is answer mm-hmm. to God when God says, what's happened to your brother Abel? And it's very interesting when you look at the Genesis passage, when you put that sexual connotation onto it, and you see that that is indeed the context, when you compare it to all the other creation first family mythologies that are out there, there is always a trickster who mm-hmm. impregnates either the woman, the first woman, or the first woman's daughter, or there's always an impregnation and there's always multiple births mm-hmm. that are associated with it, everything from twins to quadruplets. And uh, so you start comparing these mythologies, if you will, and by mythology, I'm not discounting the veracity of any of them, just placing it all in the, in the great first family mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, whichever version is true, what you have is, again, the common threads, sexual, uh, multiple births, mm-hmm. and according to the Genesis passage in our, our Bible, uh, Judea, uh, uh Christian Judeo, you've got uh, Eve bearing the two sons, and but right after the event of the, the eating of the forbidden fruit, it says, and God came down and walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and he's calling for Adam. Now, this yeah. is the, of course, omniscient, all-knowing God, and he's calling for Adam. Adam, where are you, Adam? Mm-hmm. And Adam... Uh, Adam says, uh, "We're hiding," uh, and he says, "Well, why are you hiding? Well, we're naked." And uh, God says, "Well, who told you you were naked? Well, we ate this fruit. I said, the woman you gave me gave me this fruit." And then yeah. God
4: says, "Woman, what have
2: you done?" And the woman's like, "The serpent, you know, he, he beguiled me." And serpent, what have you done? And and you've got in this 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 story, mm-hmm. uh, that God curses mankind. The sin has now entered. Uh, you've got God Himself saying. Let us not let them eat of the other tree in the garden, lest they become like us, like gods. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's a big key phrase in there too. But when God is passing this judgment on the serpent, He says, "And there will be enmity forever through time between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the of the woman, or the seed of humankind." Mm-hmm. And so you ask the question, "Wait a minute!" And this is another one of those verses that I. Blurbed over for years in my theological teachings, wait, who is the seed of the serpent? Well, it's very clear. There were twins born, and uh-huh. it doesn't become clear in the passage. It becomes clear in other contexts throughout the Old Testament, is that uh-huh. Eve conceived twins. Uh-huh. One was conceived by the serpent character, Nakash. The other was conceived by Adam. Okay. And so she's bearing dual bloodlines in her womb. And this is where God says there will be enmity between the two seeds that are being mm-hmm. born here. And the way this bears out is all through the genealogies of the Old Testament. The the the, the Hebrew tradition was the genealogies had to be carried through the firstborn of the family and Methus beget, you know, Jahad and had get whoever and whoever and down the line. And we look at those and we think these are really boring. Why are they here? Is there any context for them? And I used to think that until I started digging into this topic more. Then you look at they get to King David, uh several thousand years later. King David, they trace his lineage back Adam, and yet they don't trace him through the firstborn, which is the tradition, which is Cain. They trace him mm-hmm. through Abel. Then you have Mary, the mother of Jesus of Nazareth, and And remember, the prophecies said the Messiah, the Christ, had to be of the line of David. And so they trace Mary's in the New Testament lineage back to King David and back Mm -hmm. to Adam through the lesser-born Abel. Mm -hmm. So the big question comes, why were these lines traced through the lesser-born, breaking the Hebrew tradition? Mm -hmm. Well, it's for one very distinct reason. Remember, uh, jump back to Noah for a second, where we okay. were always... Uh, he was the only righteous man, and that's why God chose him. Well, in the Hebrew, it says he was the only pure-blooded man. Noah was pure in all his generations.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that didn't make sense till I studied this. His generations go back to Adam through the line of Abel, the lesser-born oh. again. Why are all these people taken through the lesser-born, the second-born of the twins? Mm-hmm. Because the first-born of the twins is not of pure human blood, is mm-hmm. of the blood of Nakosh, the serpent. There was a reason for that in Old Testament theology. If you remember, the very first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah is right there in Genesis 3, after the, the fall of man. and the, When God's cursing the serpent and cursing mankind, he ta- there's that first prophecy of the Messiah. It says in in very poetic language, and you will will, uh, uh, crush his heel, but he will crush your head. That's a a messianic prophecy, talking Mm -hmm. to the serpent. And the reason for all of this, in the Hebrew tradition, the Messiah literally was called the Mm kinsman-redeemer. And kinsman-redeemer, through the whole Old Testament, there's a reason the word kinsman is there. Have you ever heard... uh, in Christian theology they talk about Jesus and the birth of Jesus. He was one of us. He had to be totally man and totally God to be the Savior. That's because he was in the Hebrew sense the kinsman redeemer that was prophesied and there's a reason for the kinsman redeemer uh, or the genealogies of all these people showing the way they are. They had to show that the Messiah that was coming was born of the pure human blood, not that blood tainted by Mm Nekosh, the serpent. And so that's why the genealogies were important. That's why you've got everything is always traced back through Abel, because Abel was the pure-blooded son of Adam and Eve, while Cain was the son of Nekosh and Eve. And so uh, this is the stuff, when you start digging into this stuff, and this is just, by the way, we're talking here, this is Nephilim light. Um, because there's so much more information than than this. But this is what you've got when you start looking at this. Uh, You've got this story that is very well, could be just a story, an encoded story. But if there's anything to the whole theology of the Bible as a whole picture, uh, you've got a, a Messiah that is prophesied that has to come from pure human blood that was tainted at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And there, are two, there is a dual bloodline going on, and uh, um, and it's very interesting. Also, by the way, in this passage where God says, "Let us," He's speaking in the plurality. You've got your Trinitarians who will say, "Well, that's obviously God speaking." Of God the Father, the Son, yeah, and the see, Holy Spirit. Yeah, see, this this is what
1: I really it always puzzled me. And you're talking about chapter one and chapter two uh, of Genesis, yeah. I presume, where it "Let us create uh, mm-hmm. man and woman in our in lives. our image." And then in chapter now, 2, all of a sudden, <laughs> we're, we're building the body out of the dust of the earth.
2: Right. Well, here, here's the very interesting thing. And by the way, on that point alone, building the body from the dust of the earth, the clay of the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Paul says in the New Testament, when he's talking about a different topic, he says, God knows that we are but clay. So oh, uh, this whole thing about Adam, a lot of the mythologies in other first Family creations, the creation of the first man and woman, talks of them coming out of the ground or coming from subterranean uh, locations Mm -hmm. into the light of the sun. So, again, out of the ground, out of the ground, out of the ground is always there. Uh, But what you've got here with this plurality of God, this was one of Mm -hmm. the first big questions that I brought up maybe 15, 20 years ago.
1: All right, let's uh, go uh, go ahead. Let's let's, let's, uh, take that question. And. Gonna have to take a quick break, we'll be back in a few hold tight.
0: Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine is the perfect resource for those seeking a healthy, natural lifestyle. In every free monthly publication, you'll find practical, cutting-edge information on natural health, nutrition, personal growth, green living, creative expression, and more. Find Natural Awakenings wherever free magazines are found. Read it online at rinaturalawakenings.com or call 401-709-2473. Feel good. Live simply. laugh more. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine.
5: Experience the power of being. Join author and intuitive life counselor, Ron Ash, on an infinite journey of enlightenment. Being explores the various modalities associated with self-help and spirituality. Master divine guidance. Connect to source energy and expand your consciousness. For a complete list of our affiliate stations and showtimes, visit beingwithronash.com.
0: Interested in promoting yourself, your business, or your platform? If so, you should contact RMA Associates for the most cost effective ways to promote what you do. RMA has over 25 years of experience helping their clients grow while meeting the challenges of an ever changing market. Email RMA today at rma.associates at yahoo.com. For more information, again, that's rma.associates at yahoo.com.
6: Looking for your next vehicle? Look to Gemini Auto Sales and Service. They have everything you need to purchase, finance, and maintain your next quality pre-owned vehicle. Gemini takes the guessing out of finding the right vehicle at the best price because all of Gemini's vehicles are priced to sell far below like vehicles within a 50-mile radius of their two convenient locations. Gemini staff of ASE-certified mechanics buy, sell, and service every vehicle on the lot. Quality vehicles, unsurpassed service, and guaranteed financing. Gemini Auto Sales and Service, 401-228-8686 or visit Gemini Sales Service
4: Do you have a special gift that you'd like to share with the world? Then consider broadcasting your message on BTRN. The Bean Talk Radio Network is local, national, and international broadcasting with powerful programs that enlighten minds and change lives. BTRN hosts are passionate about purpose, motivating listeners to confidently move forward in the direction of their dreams to host a show on btrn call 401-640-GIFT become a part of the bean talk radio network today and contribute to positive change tomorrow we are btrn the bean talk radio network
6: learn how to connect with spirit and create the life of your dreams Purchase the complete Ron Ash collection and save 45% now. Get the Apostles' Recipe for Happiness, Breaking Through, Being, and the Secret of Divine Intervention today for only $30. That's $25 off the retail price. Make your life-expanding purchase today at beingwithronash.wordpress.com. Again, that's beingwithronash.wordpress.com.
1: Ron Ash with Scott Allen Roberts, and we are talking about his book *The Rise and Fall of Nephilim: The Untold Story of Fallen Angels, Giants on the Earth, and Their Extraterrestrial Origins*. Um, you were just about to pose a question before we went to break. What was that? Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, well, this this whole issue of the plural the, the plurality in Genesis, when you read it in the English, uh, mm-hmm. it seems to say indicate that there is more than one person talking there when God says, let us make man in our image, and Mm -hmm. let us not let man eat of the other tree in the garden, lest he be like us, like God's. Mm
3: -hmm. So
2: here's the big question. Now, I'm going to throw something very controversial out there.
3: All Uh, right, we like controversy. uh,
2: (laughs) I do not. Now, (laughs) I have been a Christian my whole life. Uh, I have been in very conservative theology, as I've mentioned, but what I have found is that the Bible itself, the Old Testament especially, Mm -hmm. does not teach monotheism. Even though we have the one God saying, even in the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. Well, even that statement, all by itself, it seems to imply that there are then other gods I could have before him. And, of course, that's in theologies explained away, at least in our the mindset I was raised, was that it's a figurative thing. You know, I'm, I could say to my son, I'm your dad, and there are no other dads before me in your life. It could be like that. Uh, or it could mean mm-hmm. something deeper. And so one of the first big things I noticed as I was thinking, trying to think outside the box, several years ago, was the name of God. There's several names for God throughout the Old Testament. Um, and one of them is the the word Elohim, and Elohim is a a Hebrew word that appears over three thousand times in the Old Testament, describing God or a name for God. And mm-hmm. Elohim all by itself. Remember when we were talking earlier? I was talking about the word Nephal, for for the Nephilim, Nephal, and then the prefix or I'm sorry, the suffix put on the end, im, denoting plurality. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with Elohim. It's El is the name of God, and him is the plural ending. Uh, it denotes plurality. So El being the name for God, and by mm-hmm. the way, you see that El reproduced it, <coughs> excuse me, in many other things, like El Shaddai, uh, you mm-hmm. see it in the archangels' names who were bequeathed of God, Mike A. L., Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Azazel, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. These were all those who were born of God. And El Ohim literally means in translation, God among many gods or God of many gods. Now, the way I have seen this parsed down by, depending on which scholar you're reading, Hebrew scholars, Christian scholars alike, I've seen several arguments for this. One is, well, that is just a word denoting the multiplicity of powers of God, the majesty. Mm -hmm. It would be like Queen Elizabeth, you know, and you've seen it in the old movies, you know, Queen Elizabeth saying, you know, our subjects must answer to us, you know, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. that multiplicity of of, of majesty, uh, speaking in singular. So the word Elohim itself can be used in a singular or a plural tense, or, or sense, depending on the context of the passage around it. It's like our English deer. I see a deer, singular, in my front yard. I see a herd of deer, plural, in my back pasture. Uh, it's used the same way, depending on the context. And so, But you look at this term, and then you find in the English the plurality being used, and you've got to look at that then and say, wait a minute, let me think through this. Let uh-huh. me dig this out. What does this mean? Uh, why is he referring to himself in a plurality? And it's, it's very interesting, by the way, also to note that when the Old Testament was talking about, there was some fellow, and I can't remember his name, who was selling uh, stone, wood, and clay gods that he had made, idols, out of his uh-huh. tent. And the collection of his idols were referred to as the Elohim in this man's tent. Um, and so that's the plurality. Now, there is a, a verse in, uh, well, it's, it's one of the Psalms, Psalm 82. And, and by the way, if you notice, I'm going to scripture in these, to, to biblical scripture, because I'm trying to establish things from a biblical base, because this is the source point for the Nephilim.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And so I, this was my first source point, was to go to all these places and try to dig this information out. And you've got, uh, in Psalm 82, is a prime example of this. And this also gives you a clue as to who these sons of God were who descended and intermingled with human women, bequeathing the Nephilim. Who were these sons of God? And it also establishes something about Elohim. Psalm 82 says, And God, or the word used there is Elohim, Mm -hmm. and I'll interchange that Hebrew word here, it says, And Elohim stood, singular, in the midst of, of the Elohim, plural,
3: uh-huh. and
2: said to them, "You are the Elohim, the plural, the gods. You are the bright, shining princes of heaven. Uh-huh. But I will strip your immortality from you, and you will die like men." So, and it goes this whole passage. He's casting judgment on uh, um, a group called, uh, theologically, they're called the Divine Council okay. in the Old Testament, and this Divine Council. Uh, it's not angels, because there's a different word for that, malach, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right off the top of my head. Um, uh, and believe me, you write about this stuff, and you spend months and months and months, and then somebody says, you know, when you sit on this page here, and you go, oh, what did I say there? <laughs> uh, yeah, i got to yeah. think through that. Let me look at it. Um, but uh, uh, it's not angels he's talking to. He's talking to the divine council, and he's referring to them as gods. As the bright shining princes of heaven. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, in, in, the, in the English, it actually says, You are gods. You are the bright shining princes of heaven. Well, now take that first of all back to Nakosh in the Garden of Eden. Nakosh is defined as trickster, the bringer of knowledge, the bringer of illumination, the bright shining one. So you've got God calling the divine council gods and referring to them as bright shining princes of heaven then you've got the bright shining one who tempts Eve and he's mentioned in many other places and i think this is why they had put the luciferian uh um connotation on him because it never calls him lucifer in genesis yet there's lucifer was called the star of the morning the bright shining one and so on he was one of the divine council and he and you you hear read about very loosely in scripture that the, the wars in heaven and all of this Ongoing wars, constantly ongoing. Um, And Lucifer was just one of those who dissented, led a rebellion, so to speak, Uh, this this council of gods. And why didn't God wipe them out? They were gods. Uh, You start to get a picture of the the Greek gods and the, the Roman gods and this pantheon of gods that may have existed when you start comparing all the different religions. Well, we get to this bright, shining one, and Elohim... Elohim is a plurality, and God speaks of himself in Genesis and in many other places as a plurality, and he's speaking to others in his group, let us not do this, let us not allow them to do that. And so this was one of the big first things, I sat back and I scratched my chin and I went, hmm, what does this mean? Does this mean God is not a singular God? Well, no, he's not. And uh, so you start looking at this now. Now, let's take this whole thing I've just talked about for half an hour already. Okay. It starts to fit into a different picture, which I will tell you this, and I make this disclaimer right out front. I even say in my book, the entire ancient alien theory uh, is something I have not fully subscribed to yet, though there is tons and tons of evidence pointing to this. Even as a kid – when I was watching uh, Star Trek on TV Mm -hmm. in the late 60s and the perpetual reruns throughout the 70s, something I learned watching that show is something, and this is not a new notion, is that the idea was put out there, and Eric Von Daniken in his book Chariots of the Gods back in 1968 put out the same idea and the same question. He said, what if, he wasn't stating it as fact, and neither am I, but what if ancient man's encounters... With things they called God, angels, demons was really something else. But that's mm-hmm. the connotation they put on them. Um, we've seen it many times. You know, I only reference this because it's it's an easy way to reference it in our mind, pop culturally. You know, you watch movies, uh, science fiction, and stuff like that. How many times did you see Captain Kirk say, oh, "Don't don't don't worship me. I'm not a god. I'm a man like you." Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is the idea is that perhaps ancient mankind perceived non-human intelligences as gods. They labeled them as gods and so on. Now, of course, I immediately, by my own circle of old seminary friends, get labeled, you're such a backslider, you're such a heretic, (laughs) you're such a blasphemer. But the big question is this, is what if that is what it is? We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. And that's what it comes down to to me. There are Doctrinalists and there are spiritualists. Mm-hmm. I think the spiritually minded are open-minded. The doctrinally minded have to have a, a a a passage and a verse, a chapter and a verse, and a, a, you, they have to be on point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think any of this stuff is on point. I think that information is there, and it's so encoded
3: mm-hmm.
1: in the
2: passages in the Old Testament. You have got to start digging it out. And then yeah. it makes you start asking questions.
1: Well well, well really you know, I, I had uh Greg Braden on some time ago and um you know he uh just uh came out with a new book called Deep Truth. And um I was fascinated to find out that science actually has uh switched gears and actually uh yeah. debunked a lot of Darwin's original theories of uh evolution in regards to man and has favored intelligent intentional design. They don't know Absolutely. where where it comes from. Or who it is, but they have said, listen, it's the only thing that really makes sense.
2: My my first chapter in my book is called, after the introduction, is called the uh Science Almighty. And uh, mm-hmm. sorry, I've got a phone beeping in, uh, call beeping in, so you might hear a little blank spot now and then. Um uh it's uh, the first chapter is called Science Almighty. And in a sense what I'm doing is trying to establish that science in establishing itself as free of religion, free of the taint of spirituality and free of bias that is built on religion has in a sense built itself into created itself, the surrogate for religion. And by so doing has made itself its own religion. Um, mm-hmm. When you replace something uh, and say, we are the ones with the truth here, if you will, or the facts, man, um, you establish yourself as the replacement for the thing that you're decrying. And many of the lead Scientists out there today. I take a particular issue in my book with uh, Richard Dawkins, great scientist, fabulous uh, uh, evolutionary biologist, but he is also a crusading atheist. Um, he is out there saying religion is trash, is a quote of his, um, and, and so on and so forth, all of that. Uh, when you start looking into the, the conflict between faith and science, Uh, You see how big that issue is. But when you start kicking out the props a little bit and saying, wait a minute, uh, are you saying then that science is so arrogant as to say, because I cannot see it, handle it, touch it, prove it, pragmatically discuss it, um, Mm -hmm. but I have to delve into a little bit of faith. It therefore does not exist. This is what uh-huh. crusading science, crusading atheistic science wants to tell you, or crusading skepticism, if you will. It's good to be a scientist. Good to be a skeptic. Uh, it's good to have these things. But when you get those things plant, as Carl Sagan said, um, um, my, he, he, he quoted his parents as saying uh, uh, in, in his book, um, um, the, uh, the, the Demon Haunted World, in his uh-huh. introduction, Carl Sagan said, my parents did an amazing thing for me. When I was a kid, they instilled in me both the, the need and the necessity of the scientific method and at mm-hmm. the same time uh, the, the need for wonder and yeah. to, to, to know that there is something else out there. The true skeptic, the true scientist doesn't say God doesn't exist and faith and spirituality don't exist. They can't say that emphatically. Just because there is a veil that science cannot pierce does not mean it does not exist. So when science says that, science is being disingenuous. Skepticism Mm -hmm. is being disingenuous. The the true scientific skeptic, if you will, if you lump them all together, would say, this is what I believe is so. I want evidence for something else, but I cannot cancel out the possibility that something else exists just because Mm -hmm. I don't have all the facts in hand. And uh, that's that's something I hit very hard in my book in that first chapter. Kick out that prop a little bit. Because sometimes there are things you have to say – just because we don't have a godometer to measure the existence of God doesn't mean that that's a veil that we just that, that we cannot pierce. Yeah. there are things we don't know for sure, and so even in take the theory of evolution, which is still the theory of evolution, as many people yeah. have said over the mass in many years, um, I don't disbelieve You're very evolution close to, to being a religion. Yeah, very to close say. to being a religion. You know why? <laughs> because it is at conflict with religion and it establishes itself in the place of religion. Mm-hmm. And when somebody does that, you know, so what, what does a, the leader of a political coup do when he deposes or decries the other party or the existing leader? He's establishing <laughs> himself as an alternative leader.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, the
2: same thing with this uh they become the surrogate faith and the surrogate religion. And look at the the, the uh the theory of the ascendancy, the evolutionary ascendancy of man. Uh going from osteopithecus all the way up through, you know, the whatever you all the Cro Magnon and so on and all of that to Neanderthal and current day and all of that ascendancy. You know why there's a missing link that they keep talking about and they keep trying to find? Because they have never, ever once, even on a DNA level, been able to link all of these different stages of human ascendancy. Nope. And the they they actually scale.
1: have found a Neanderthal uh, infant with the DNA still intact, and they found no similar strands of DNA. Nothing <laughs> exactly. in common with Neanderthals. We, exi- we existed at the same time.
2: Exactly. We coexisted with Neanderthal. And yeah. so when you start looking at this, you say... Wait a minute, even science in saying that we know these things are linked, we're just looking for that, that lost link. Aren't they doing the same thing they decry religion for when a, a a Christian or a religious man might say, I believe this about Moses, and so I'm going to dig into history and try to prove my case? Aren't they mm-hmm. doing the same thing when they decry those people, when they say, we don't really have a linkage between any of these, but we know it exists? Mm-hmm. Um, they are operating by if you will, scientific faith that these things are connected even though we don't know for sure that they're connected we believe they are
5: and they mm-hmm. teach
2: it that way. Now yeah. I am not one, I am not a young earth creationist, I am not a creationist per se, other than to say if God created mankind I have no problem with God evolving mankind. But mm-hmm. as the facts start to come out there's no way to link them. I think what they've got in all these different stages of evolutionary ascendancy are different species uh-huh. that all look like there could be a strat but there's not. Yeah, um, and it's very interesting. Uh, Anthony F. Sanchez, um, who is uh, uh, wrote the book UFO Highway, and he's working on a new book, the Leonid Project. He, um, would, by the way, uh, segue very interesting guest for you uh, if you're ever okay. interested in this. Very uh, conspiratorial uh, type of approach to some of his stuff as well. He established in his book, UFO Highway, talking about new current DNA research into the linkage between human beings, homo sapiens, and and, uh, primates. Now, it was once thought, and I may have my numbers a little off on this, but I know I'm darn close. Uh There was something like in the low 90 percentile originally thought the DNA linkage between chimpanzees and other primates that exist today and humans was in the low 90s uh, in percentile, which said, wow, that is almost uh, the next best thing to being 100%. And so they always said we were linked through DNA. And now through new mm-hmm. DNA research in recent few years... They've discovered that that number, that linkage in DNA with the new, uh, newer, deeper, better DNA uh, types of, of, of uh, research, encoding research, have found that there is less than 67% uh, between humans, uh, homo sapiens, and primates, which, which we already share 67% at least of DNA with almost every form of life on this planet. So that drops primates down to we're as related to primates by that research as we are to, you know, uh, my chihuahua. So um, did we evolve from chihuahuas? Is that a new theory? No. It just shows that the old theories are being revamped and revised. Mm -hmm. And all I use that information for is to say this, not to prove anything, but to say science ain't the end-all and be-all. It's Mm -hmm. necessary. Uh, (laughs) You know, I even say in my book, uh, great thinking Great scientific thinking evolved out of spirituality. I, I, I could just picture some ancient, some, <clears throat> excuse me, seven 8,000 years ago, looking up into the night sky and looking at the stars and saying, hmm, scratching his whiskers and his chin, saying, you know, I know that the stars are the afterbirth of the, the great goddess cast up into the sky by the, the giant beaver, but, hmm, <laughs> if there's something more to that. <laughs> <laughs> so th- th- this is uh, this is the birth of scientific thought somebody did yeah. that and yeah. uh, um so science I totally am a supporter of science I am an uh, um uh what would you call it a protagonist uh, somebody who is very much against I'm anti science that establishes itself as the only and all and mm. be all answer yeah. and uh um, I've got a good skeptical friend, very scientific, been a friend, dear friend for 20 years, and I refer to him as Reverend Jim in the Church of Skeptic. And mm-hmm. he just bristles with, that, I'm not done anything. Why, why would you even say that? I said because in your skepticism and decrying God and religion, you have established yourself as the new religion.
3: Exactly. And uh, yeah.
2: so uh, yeah. the the only absolute in our in our in humanity right now is the fact that there are no such things as absolutes. Mm-hmm. And that's an absolute, so um, you have to start looking at this and saying, "Are there absolutes? Maybe the new absolute is there is no absolute when it comes to scientific theory uh it's a It's a completely evolving process itself, and so I bring that up only to establish that. Look in our modern society, our modern culture. We have brushed aside the ancient superstitious, the ancient religious, the ancient spirituality to a certain extent. I'm talking corporately. Uh, we, there's now no longer a need for you look at I think of politics and corporate and all of this. There, there's no really no longer have we seen a need in humanity's part for God and angels and devils and anything in between. We kind of brushed that all aside uh, for secularism. But we're starting to see, and especially what you do, Ron, you've got to have seen this, you've had to have seen this, was that people are starting to get tired of that. Yes. They're they're starting to say, wait a minute, (laughs) I want to be, there is a spirituality I want to have. I want to believe something. Uh, Mm -hmm. This takes me back to, this just popped into my head. I remember this is several years ago, but uh, this was, uh, I believe it was, I believe it was, I might be wrong. I caught something on MTV back when... Music TV was actually a music video station um, many years ago. I believe it was, uh, um, God, who was the the, the, the guy? Kurt Cobain. I think it was him playing a song. And he was sitting in the spotlight with a guitar and showing all these flashes of things behind him. And the the, the whole theme of the song is, I don't have anything to believe in. I need Uh to find something to believe in. And uh, that was the deep message of that song. And I looked at it and said, huh that is our society today that's where we're going we need we have so become it's become so secularized we don't believe in anything anymore and people are going mm-hmm. wait a minute i want to believe yeah. in something
5: and it's changed it's uh, not
2: just anything it is and uh, i just had this conversation with somebody the other day we were talking about uh uh was somebody who was inviting me to speak at a, a convention and they they mm-hmm. asked uh, well what does our, our convention's going to be all about speaking to the soul for people what does your book offer and i they said you seem so in your head you seem so uh uh, uh, uh I, I can't remember the word they use and i said you know for me discovering the secrets of the soul has to go back to knowing something uh not the end as the end all and be all but i encounter <laughs> for years and now, now i was uh a little bit of my background, I was the editor-in-chief of Taps Pair Magazine, which is the ghost hunters from Sci-Fi Channel. It was their official magazine.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: it, it, being such, I traveled to all their events, and I spoke at all their events. And if I had a dime for every time somebody came up to me with a cocktail in their hand and said, I'm a psychic, I, uh-huh. I could be retired on a small Caribbean island right now. <laughs> um, you know, and I had some, somebody more than once – Somebody, you know, the archangel Gabriel, he lives in my closet, and he comes out on Thursday nights and speaks to me. Let me ask Gabriel next Thursday.
1: More than one time. I need to hang around with you.
2: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And then there was somebody else. It was Michael. And I thought, man, these archangels sure get around in a lot of people's bedrooms. Mm. Uh, You know, and I'm being cynical, of course, with that. Who knows? Maybe Michael and Gabriel do speak to them. I have no clue. Um, Even the Bible itself says... uh, uh, what, what was it in ancient times? Madmen were considered to be the spiritual gurus. Uh, somebody who is insane was tainted by God and spoke the messages of God. Uh, even the Bible says God has not chosen many powerful or strong or or politically uh, Superior, but he 's chosen the meat and the and the and the stumbling and the uh, the buffoonery uh, to get his message across, so maybe there 's something to that. Maybe there are simple people that God speaks through that way i don 't know i can 't decry it I, I make a little fun of it because it just sounds so silly, but I might be wrong. They might be right, but what it comes down to is this is that I see all of this kind of thinking, and the point i 'm making is this is that just because we feel it. And we earthly believe it in our hearts and our feelings doesn't make it so
3: uh-huh.
2: you know i could I could believe this shovel sitting right here in my garage is actually a physical manifestation in inanimate form of my God, and uh-huh. I could plant that thing in the backyard and worship it. I could hang garlands from it and draw my energy from it because psychologically I could create that energy. Does that make that shovel god? not really, maybe to me. But Uh does that make that who that really is? Is there personality there? Is a piece of wood and steel put together? Um, All I'm trying the point, I'm trying to make maybe rather lamely, is that just because we feel it doesn't mean that that is the reality of something. There is a necessity, as I said to this person in the conversation I was with, why is my book good for the soul? I believe it's good for the soul because for me, my book was a spiritual journey, and Uh it's it's me expressing my spiritual journey, a little bit of my grieving, I think, over the loss of my own God in the sense that I had always believed in him because I found things to be different. Um, it's a spiritual journey, but at the same time it's one that says, you got to know some facts about something here in order to make a determination about it. Um, I can believe what I want to believe about Noah and the ark and God's interaction with man and Adam and Eve But if it's based on erroneous information or if it's based on... And I only see erroneous not because I'm basing that on what the truth of the matter is. I'm basing it on where do I draw my material from to base my beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, And granted, even in the New Testament, Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament said, uh, you know, faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. Uh, So yeah, I get that. I get what faith is. But... I don't think, biblically speaking or theologically, that faith was ever meant to be blind faith. It was meant to be informed faith. These are things are uh-huh. written that you may know, it says in the Bible. So that's all from that, that theological standpoint, of course. No matter what theology you come from or spirituality or belief system, it's sometimes good to get back to some of the basics and say, what does this really say and what does it really mean? And that's what I offer up with this book. And that's what it's uh-huh. done for me.
1: And that's where my journey began, too, because there were just some things that just didn't make sense, you know, and, and I was raised Catholic and, you know, got into Christianity, actually became a minister. And there were just certain things that I saw that said, wait a second, this, this doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But it didn't make sense based on, you know, the knowledge that I was taught. That's all there really was. It did make yeah. sense, but you had to open up your mind and really uh, allow the uh, truth to flow in. Well, Scott… Um, Thank you for okay. joining us today I wish we had more time Scott
5: Allen Roberts for The book is me. The
1: Rise and Fall of Nephilim uh, The Untold Story of Fallen Angels Giants on the Earth And Their Extraterrestrial Origins You can link to Scott At beingwithronash.com That's beingwithronash.com As you can link to all of our guests Past, present and future We'll see you on the radio Same time, same place Be Peace everyone
5: the power of being. Join author and intuitive life counselor, Ron Ash, on an infinite journey of enlightenment. Being explores the various modalities associated with self-help and spirituality. Master divine guidance. Connect to source energy and expand your consciousness. For a complete list of our affiliate stations and showtimes, visit beingwithronash.com.
0: Interested in promoting yourself, your business, or your platform? If so, you should contact RMA Associates for the most cost-effective ways to promote what you do. RMA has over 25 years of experience helping their clients grow while meeting the challenges of an ever-changing market. Email RMA today at rma.associates at yahoo.com for more information. Again, that's rma.associates at yahoo.com.
6: Looking for your next vehicle? Look to Gemini Auto Sales and Service. They have everything you need to purchase, finance, and maintain your next quality pre-owned vehicle. Gemini takes the guessing out of finding the right vehicle at the best price because all of Gemini's vehicles are priced to sell far below like vehicles within a 50-mile radius of their two convenient locations. Gemini's staff of ASE-certified mechanics buy, sell, and service every vehicle on the lot. Quality vehicles, unsurpassed service, and guaranteed financing. Gemini Auto Sales and Service, 401-228-8686, or visit GeminiSalesService.com dot com.
0: Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine is the perfect resource for those seeking a healthy natural lifestyle. In every free monthly publication, you'll find practical, cutting-edge information on natural health, nutrition, personal growth, green living, creative expression, and more. Find Natural Awakenings wherever free magazines are found. Read it online at riNaturalAwakenings.com or call 401-709-2473. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine.
4: Do you have a special gift that you'd like to share with the world? Then consider broadcasting your message on BTRN. The Bean Talk Radio Network is local, national, and international broadcasting with powerful programs that enlighten minds and change lives. BTRN hosts are passionate about purpose, motivating listeners to confidently move forward in the direction of their dreams. To host a show on BTRN, call 401-640-GIFT. Become a part of the Bean Talk Radio Network today and contribute to positive change tomorrow. We are BTRN, the Bean Talk Radio Network. Learn how to connect with
6: spirit and create the life of your dreams. Purchase the complete Ron Ash collection and save 45% now. Get the Apostles' Recipe for Happiness, Breaking Through, Being, and the Secret of Divine Intervention today for only $30. That's $25 off the retail price. Make your life-expanding purchase today at beingwithronash.wordpress.com. Again, that's beingwithronash.wordpress.com.